CliffCentral.com. Good afternoon. You're tuned into the Daily Maverick Show on CliffCentral.com. As usual, my name is Kingsley Kipuri and I'll be your host for the next hour. Public holidays are over, back to reality. Um, so I hope you, you know, using us and our show to sort of ease back into the pain of having to work full five weeks, I mean five days a week. Justin Bieber's in town in the next couple of couple of days. I believe Greg will tell us a bit more about that. So it's exciting times in South Africa. Greg, how are you feeling? What do you mean? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, What's the go. rest? Dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun. Okay, Can we do a little it. Daily Maverick version? A cover of Bieber's, Bieber's hits, his nothing. greatest? I think we need to call in extra support. Ranjani Munusam is in what, studio. What do you mean is basically our, <laughs> our, our theme, our, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, our yeah, motto right. of Daily Maverick. So I, I'm not attending the, the concert at F&B Stadium this yeah. time. I just hope it doesn't get robbed this time. Yeah, you were saying at this complete sidetrack, but you were just saying it's been four years on since they stole it's the something money like from, that. The, from the Justin Bieber concert. And it's such a, one of these dramatic um, sort of unsolved cold cases that, yeah, yeah it's just one of these sort of crazy South African crime stories. I never figured you for a believer. Is that is what it's called? A believer? Yes, believer. Believer, yeah. I don't think I am, but for the sake of this conversation, yeah. I can play the believer. Okay, I think that's, that's pretty much as much as we could talk about Justin Bieber for. I think we're completely out of tidbits on that. What are we actually talking about today? Um, doing a wrap up of a bunch of the sort of the biggest stories, at least on the Daily Maverick site from the past couple of weeks, including our exclusive sit down with Pravin Godan, who, who Rich Ranjani did, talking a bit about the court case where the DA has gone to court, uh, requesting that Zuma be asked to explain sort of his rationale, his logic, uh, what stood behind the cabinet reshuffle, uh, which links, of course, to former Minister Godan and to be Jonas, what happened in Vuani? Um, president was supposed to speak and address the people, and it, it appears uh, was not willing to do so. Do we have a runaway president? And lastly, speaking to the Institute of Security Studies about a new sort of SAPS proposal to have a, a, a dedicated capability to investigate corruption and fraudulent activity within SARS. I mean, in, within the, the police SAPS. Sorry about that. So a lot going on. Um, if you want to join in the conversation, remember we're on at DM shows a day, so you can send through questions there and we'll really enjoy engaging with you. Now to jump right in. Ranjani, it feels like it's been months and months and months since we had, you know, the, 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 the most recent reshuffle. And it turns out, how long has it been? It's actually been perhaps a month, maybe five weeks. It's, since yeah, it's that. five weeks. But I think, you know, with so much, it's so much drama in this it's, country. It's, it just, you know, you feel like you age like a, Three times the pace. I mean, we even have lions running away from the country. I heard there's five lions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's just. (laughs) And we went from that right into the Kathrada funeral and it feels like it's been, you know, just blistering pace through. So you sat down with former Minister Godan and I'm just curious what, 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 what's his temperament right now? Does he look like somebody who's like, who's just like, okay, I'm not the minister and I'm just going to settle back into this? Does he look like a man looking for justice and vengeance and really trying to get out there and address the people? What, 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 what sense did you get from him right now? Um, you know, Kingsley, I've been thinking about, uh, that interview, mm. um, because I was watching, uh, Maluti Gikaba, the new finance minister in parliament today, and all the controversies that he has to deal with, including mm. the latest being his wife and the comment she oh, made yeah. in an interview. And, you know, Malusi Gikaba has this three ring circus around him since his appointment, you know, with all these controversies, his Gupta links, his, um, uh, you know, what is radical economic transformation, yeah. the downgrades, uh, uh, and um, then uh, the, the controversy around his advisor, Chris yeah, Malikane, absolutely. and now his wife. And you know, have all these things where he's actually not dealing with the work of the Treasury, of the yeah. National Treasury. And that, I think, is the biggest distinction between, you know, other than what the agendas are and what are the agenda behind the reshuffle. I think when, when, you, when you talk to Pravin Gordon mm. and you see this extreme focus on the issues, I mean, the man eats, sleeps, and breathes inclusive growth, what it means means and he's so focused on that even now you know he says that's his passion that's you know what and and it you know i asked him about the downgrades Mm. for example and Mm. how he felt and he was saying it was so disheartening that after all the work that he his deputy um former deputy jonas the 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 officials of the national treasury plus their partners in business and labor all the work that they had done um you know to try and stabilize the economy uh, to try and win that uh, ratings battles 
um, since his appointment in December 2015, that it's all, you know, eventually led to nothing because we we were downgraded to junk status. Um, and, but the other thing that I found was extreme discipline. As much as I tried and push, and I push, you know, I mm. really try yeah, and push. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't go off track. He wouldn't mm. say anything nasty about whoever plotted against him. Um, uh, he wouldn't uh, be critical, you know, openly critical uh, about President Zuma. Um, what he is is extremely puzzled. About what exa- what happened, because he says there's never been a, 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 a fallout between him and the president. He said there was no at no stage was there a meeting, you know, to say oh we need to resolve mm. our differences. You I want things done this way and you are doing it that way. He says there was nothing nothing of the sort. There were no disagreements. There were no attempts at mediation. So you know the story that the president told the officials mm. that. Um, there was an irretrievable breakdown. The person who is most puzzled by that is Pravin Gordon. And they've, they've known each other for a long time, right? Since 1974. So, you know, there is, there is an element, I think, of, um, of disappointment and, um, I, I, I don't know, you know, it's, I think it does something to someone's character or, or, you know, your, your, uh, your, your, your being to, to have something like, you know, the, the humiliation that was visited on him by, by being recalled in that way from London and then not being told what's going on. Um, this belief by not only your boss, you, mm-hmm. you know, and the president of the country, but your comrade since 1974 that you are up to some nefarious thing. You're plotting against the country and he doesn't bother to explain it. But I think the most hurtful thing for Pravin Gordon was that to this day, he has not received a call from the president saying, thank you very much for your services. Or, you know what, Praveen, uh, it didn't work out. I yeah. want somebody else. There's been no contact with the president since uh, that, that SMS, which was from the director general in the presidency saying, come back to South Africa. It seems that um, the former minister has shown a lot of restraint and doesn't exude the sort of animosity you might expect him to, given what happened in the circumstances it it did. But was that pain apparent? Could you sort of, was he wearing it on his sleeve? Could you really tell that it was coming through? No, not really. I really had to push and probe, you know, to get him to speak about it. Um, You know, he's... uh I think his concern is what's been happening in the country. And I think his, his major concern is this issue of state capture um, and what's going to happen to the national treasury, what's happening to state institutions. Um, because, you know, I think he really put his heart and soul into that, uh, into preserving the integrity of the national treasury mm. um, and, you know, to try and deal with the commotion in the state-owned enterprises, for example, SAA um, and uh, and Denel and things like that. So I think that is where his concern lies. But, uh, you know, you wouldn't get him saying that, oh, you know, I work so hard. Yeah. This and that. I had to to really push. There's, there's a, um, I, as I say, there was extreme discipline on his part, um, despite what happened to him. And I'm, I'm thinking after right after the, the reshuffle, when we saw him speak with Save South Africa and saw him speak at the Kathrada memorials, we saw a bit of a, a fiery, a more fiery side than we'd been accustomed to when he was admin, uh, when he was the minister. Do you anticipate that he will continue to be sort of pe- someone people will rally around for the rest of the mm. year when we have marches, when we have, when things happen? Do you think that one, he will continue to attend and, and speak? And two, do you think he's gonna be, Someone people rally around and say This is the kind of leadership we can believe in It's actually funny to think back almost a month later Around those Kathrata memorials Because he was such a rallying point as a figure These 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 speeches and 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 things that he sort of delivered, he was sort of like it looked at that point, you know, when people were talking about emotion of no confidence in the president. Yeah. Um, that was shortly after we had had the marches against Zuma. I think that's that's when it was. It looked like he could be a, a decisive factor in determining the future of the ANC and the president. Whereas a month later, it seems to have quietened down. I don't think so. I think I think at the time uh, I. I'd, I did write that he and Kabisi Jonas mm. represent the faces of the resistance, yeah. and I think that is still the case. If you look at, for example, this this current court or the court case uh, by the Democratic Alliance to provide the reasons, I think we 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 venturing into uncharted territory, mm. both legally and constitutionally, on that case. Um, 
uh, and I, and I'm not sure where it's going to head. I mean, I think a lot of people are worried about the issue of judicial overreach on that. Yeah. But the fact remains is that the fire, it was, was a, uh, a, ca- a substantial ca- cabinet reshuffle, but I think Pravin Gordon and Kirby to join us in particular, um, and the, the perceived hijacking of the treasury mm. remains a point of concern. Um, I was at a, a post Save South Africa editor's dinner last night and Save South Africa has launched, uh, their document today on, on their list of basic demands. Mm. Um, and they're talking about the same thing. I think that their concern remains the, you know, the firing of Pravin Gordon and Mkabisi uh, Jonas. What is the agenda behind it? And they, I think that their messaging to South Africa is don't normalize mm. Malusi Gigaba's appointment yeah. uh, because it's not normal and they're very worried about the agenda. So I think that we're not having, you know, the, the type of protest, you know, with people walking, walking on the streets. Uh, but I think that um, if you look at what's going to be happening on the 15th of March, which is the court case on the secret ballot uh, that's going to be heard at the Constitutional Court, I think that the protest action planned around that still remains over what happens what happened to the national treasury um, and the the motion of no confidence that's still to become before parliament mm. um, that is centered around the firing of Pravin yeah. Gordon and Kabisi Jonas so it, the, the situation is mutating so you won't have you know when you say that the, the issue has subsided yeah. the protest action has subsided mm. but the issue remains of primary concern and should remain of primary concern to South Africans I'm interested in you mentioned the, the new minister, Malusi Gagaba. And I'm interested in one of the quotes, um, Gordon said to you in, in that interview. Mm. He said, building institutions takes time. Destroying them, you can do overnight. What were some of his thoughts? Or what was the sense you got, um, of those who've taken over the treasury? Because we've also now seen the number of key, key leaders of the treasury have also left along with the minister and deputy minister. Did you get the sense that he felt that these institutions are being destroyed? Well, obviously that's a concern for him. Yeah. He had a lot of trust and a lot of praise for uh, Lungisa Fuzile, the outgoing director general, uh, because he believed that he was a person of high integrity, was able to preserve the integrity of the National Treasury, uh, was able to keep the targets of the National Treasury on focus, such as uh, fiscal discipline mm. and consolidation of spending. Uh, but I think the other issue, as I've said, is about state institutions and the management and governance thereof. And I think those are issues for Pravin Gordon. Uh, it remains issues of concern. It's too soon to say what Malusi Gigaba actually wants to do because he yeah. hasn't shown his cards. He's, as I say, he's been juggling all these other controversies, mm. you know, mm. who or what is his advisor going to do and uh, his wife and, you know, there's all these uh, side issues. Yeah. Um, and so he's been fighting fires. We can't really tell uh, what is it that he, what is his agenda um, I mean, and there has been some some level of mis- mixed messaging. He's, he came in with guns blazing about radical economic tra- transformation, and then had to backpedal yeah. um, and 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 taper his um, uh, his goals somewhat, mm-hmm. uh, and said that you know the budget that present the presented by Pravin Gordon in February remains on track. We don't know if that's yeah. the case. Uh, we don't know what what's um, uh, the agenda on on nuclear because you know it's very much it's. Uh, you know, it's on one day, it's off one day. We don't know uh, what, what he's going to do. So I think in maybe possibly the coming months that that will show itself. Uh, but in the meantime, I think there is going to be a sustained fight back um, that will 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 kind of uh, keep pushing back against Malusi Gigaba, mm-hmm. which I think will be an important factor in terms of how he will be able to play out his agenda. Um, I mean, on the you know Gordons, on the Jonases. For some people, I suppose, the skeptics and, and I sometimes fall into the say, are we being too generous and saying you've been part of an administration, you're in the NEC meetings, you're in there, and suddenly when things, you know, don't go your way and you're the one reshuffled or you're the one fired, suddenly we allow you to become a hero. Are we perhaps being too generous in our praise of someone like Godan? Should we be saying you should have pushed harder in the NEC or you should be pushing harder in the NEC now rather than coming and speaking to a safe South Africa or people who you know already believe in this, you should be pushing inside? Are we and, being too generous? And also I think there, yeah. there are the people that say you are part of President Zuma's administration yeah. for how many ever years? Yeah. And 
is it not hypocritical to now speak out? Now you've lost your job. No, but why was he fired? Wasn't he fired precisely because he was like, you know, going against the grain of what they wanted to achieve? He wouldn't, I think, I don't, I don't think he would have been fired. Mm. They would have been fired if Mm. they were collaborators, uh, with, uh, the Zuma agenda. Clearly they were not. Clearly they were pushing back and that is why they had to go. Um, and, uh, I, I don't look. I think that they have been firm yeah. from the time that Pravin Gordon. Look, I, I you know, the, from what I understand, when mm. Pravin Gordon was in his first term as finance minister, he was, you know, pretty stubborn at that stage in terms of not conceding to whatever, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the the Zuma camp wanted at yeah. that stage, mm. and that is why he asked to go to another portfolio. And they eased into that. Um, and so then he did switch portfolios. He was asked to come back. And from the moment he came back, that mm. very first press conference, he made it clear he is not there to play anybody's game. Uh, and things would only be done if they were affordable. So such as yeah. the nuclear deal. Um, and he made it clear that things like fiscal cost consolidation was top of his list. So, I think that that was, uh, look, in terms of, th- there's two things. There's, there's what, what he was doing as national treasurer. Mm. I mean, uh, na- uh, nas- uh, as, as finance minister. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you, you can judge him by, by how he conducted yeah. himself there. In the NEC, he's part of a collective. Mm. And the thing is that we are not privy to what goes on in the NEC. We get leaks sometimes and we don't get leaks for, for a large majority of what goes on in the NEC. So we don't know what they say or anybody said or didn't say in there. So, you know, we need to separate those two things. We don't know what, uh, what goes on in the NEC, but he was fired as finance minister and we can judge that by what he did, what he said and what he achieved. Um, and by that extrapolate as to why he needed to be removed. Uh, Ranjini, I just want to mention one of the beautiful points in your piece is actually your introduction. You started off by, and I'm sure many, many of the listeners have read it, but otherwise yeah. you can, you can find, um, Ranjini's profile and interview with, uh, Pravin Gordon on the Daily Maverick mm, website. I'll tweet that, yeah. But you started off with this moment where I think it was in the day, the day after or, or in the days after, uh, the cabinet reshuffle where Gordon and Jonas, um, gave this press briefing at, um, the National Treasury's offices in Pretoria. And I think he was walking out after, yep. after, after the press briefing and he saw, I think you said it was a painting or, or a poster or something like that. Oh yeah. And he so just, let, let me tell okay. the story. So instead of you like <laughs> explaining it and me having to then re-explain it. So uh, this was the morning after the reshuffle. So it was a few hours after. So they uh, addressed this big press conference. Um, and, uh, you know, at, the, at that stage they didn't they weren't informed. They still haven't been informed, uh, but they but they didn't really know what was going on. So you know, there were there was this press conference that uh, you know was televised on all three news channels. It was a large contingent of media, but behind the scenes, um, you know, in both their offices, their, their their staff and their family were just packing boxes furiously. Um, and you know that uh, they, although they conducted themselves, you know, in a very prim and proper manner in that press conference, it must have been a highly emotional time for them you know to be just fired unceremoniously and just have to leave within hours i think you saw part of that come out when um Bravin gordon called out the ann7 journalist yes he sort of saw his anger, his rise, anger. rise to the top yes. then um and so you know but but there was no visible sign you know that they were that they were emotional about you know in in terms of heartbroken or you know disappointed or um you know the softest side of them so there were two moments where i did get a glimpse of it one of it was when they um they were walking out of the building to address the Save South Africa um, uh, gathering out, uh, outside the National Treasury. And just before they emerged out into the sunlight while they were just in the in the passage, Jonas kind of, they were walking together and teasing each other. And they got this kind of playful bromance, you know, between the two of them. And they always kind of kid around with each other. And, you know, they, so they were teasing each other as they walked out. I was right behind them. And the funny thing is just before they emerged into the sunlight, uh, Jonas just, you know, put his arm around... Uh, Gordon's shoulder um, and like pulled him closer to him and they kind of tapped their two heads together. It was just a kind of brief pause. They tapped their heads together. Um, and, you know, it was like a softer moment that you normally don't see in politics. And and then they walked out and, you know, they, they were like, you know, with their fists up and, you know, thanking people. So it was, you know, just this um, a kind of... Uh, 
uh, thing that, you know, the, 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 this private side to them that you do, you don't always see. And then when they came back, you know, then they were, went back to their offices to pack up and I was walking behind Travin Gordon again. And, um, so he pressed the button on, uh, for the lift to come. Uh, and then he turned around and he was kind of taking it all in, you know, like the last look around the national treasury, um, and looking uh, at the passages. And then on the notice board, he kind of just, and I wondered where he was going. He walked off. Um, and the poster was lopsided and he pinned it up. He found a pin and he, you know, he pinned it up straight and he, he stood back and looked to see if it was straight and, you know, then walked away. And, uh, you know, it, it was, I must say, it was very touching to see that, that, you know, he's, he'd been fired unceremoniously, but he wanted to leave, um, uh, the national treasury in prim and proper condition before, um, Malusi Gigaba walked in. Yeah, I think the way you wrote it as well, it was such a symbolic moment, and yes. I think I think you really captured that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, also because the sense he's just a, he's a man who does his job, glamorous or not, and I got that sense with the poster too. Um, and Jenny, something you've you've mentioned, and Greg, you mentioned this too, is just how much how important uh, the court case going on right now is. Um, just for those who may not have been following, the North Gauteng High Court has given the president a week to explain the reshuffle, which of course includes a firing of, of Gordon and Jonas, and he must provide records, advices, recommendations. As to, you know, what's the logic behind this? I know, I think Greg, you've been, you've been following this. The first thing I heard when I saw this, it just, it's the first thing that came to mind for me is the question, is this, is this a breakdown of the political process? That things that, that could be, you know, and Ranjan, you can jump in here is why, why, why does this need to be, you know, decided by the court? Why do we need to go to the court with this at all? Well, as I said just now, you know, that it's kind of unprecedented territory because, uh, you know, since the beginning, since 1994, um, you know, the presidents have the constitutional prerogative to appoint, uh, who they want to in their cabinet. And although Mandela was much more inclusive in the way he he had done it, um, you know, it's nobody has ever questioned the president's Right to yeah. appoint who he wants. So, yeah. you know, we have had several reshuffles through all three administrations. Um, and, uh, so this is the first time mm. that it's, uh, it's being challenged and it's being challenged, uh, before a, a court. Um, so, you know, most people thought that it would fall away because of the separate, the principle of separation mm. of powers. Mm. So it was quite a shock when the North Gauteng High Court uh, uh, ruled that uh, the president should, um, provide his record uh of of the you know why uh, that he used to make the decision to to uh for the reshuffle and the reason for that um and i think that the reason why the da pursued it and the the court did grant it is because we've had the nc officials go on record mm. Um, yeah, all, all, well, we had three NC officials say that the reason why Pravin Gordon and KBC Jonas were fired was because of this intelligence report. Uh, so we know that some or other document does exist and that the president, uh, relied on this decision, uh, to, to make, and so I think that the, the court is saying, so if there was this document, let's have it. Mm. Let's see it. And I think in the court papers, the, the president does say that his deci- decision had to and was based on rationality. Yeah. And I think that the court is saying, if it is rational, let's see it. Yeah. Um, so look, we are in uncharted. I'm not convinced that at the end of this process, the court would go the whole hog and say, yeah, make a- uh, this is irrational. You can't, you couldn't do it. Mm. And therefore the decision needs to be reversed because that would be, I think, in violation of the separation of powers. But I think. But, that, but that's the DA's, DA's aim. In yeah. terms that's of, the DA's that's, aim. So, so they went to court to get yeah. this record of decision. Yes. Because only with that record of decision yeah. can they then, um, take, uh, Zuma's cabinet reshuffle on review. So now they looks like they're going to get this record decision or we don't know what they're going to get. And then what's going to happen is they're going to court to try to have this, to have the cabinet reshuffle um, um, declared unlawful and set aside. I, as I say, I doubt, look, I, I, I don't have the legal expertise, mm. but I certainly think that that's not going to be possible to overturn the, um, the, 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 the reshuffle. But I do think that the DAA is, Scoring a major victory mm. by a, um, pushing the president to prove that his decision was rational. Yeah. B, mm. um, bringing out this bogus intelligence report because up to now we have not been able to get answers as to where did this report come from? Who drew it up? 
and how did it reach the president? Uh, and I think it's important that mm-hmm. this thing is aired because we've had too many of these things, these stupid intelligence reports, badly written, um, that influence the course and trajectory of South African politics. And I think it's high time that that was exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then I think the third thing that the DA is achieving with this, pursuing this court case is to agitate around this. Yeah. Um, and I think that is highly successful. So I think the end game won't succeed. So I don't think that they're going to succeed in, in overturning the reshuffle. Yeah. But I think that they are scoring major political victories by pursuing this case. I'm also interested in in seeing the response from the presidency as to the record of, of Jeez, this decision absolutely. on how they try to balance... Because, you know, the president has said that one of the reasons for the reshuffle was because he wanted to uh, appoint a younger cabinet, mm, young get, people, get, yeah. get young blood into cabinet, yeah. to sort of see how now they try to balance that reasoning mm. with this idea of the intelligence report and whether just so whether they're going to be able to come up with any cogent evidence of this sort of young blood argument that I would imagine they would prefer to push. Yes, but, but But the question is, how are they going to... To insert that into these record of, this record of documents, because now if, if there's very little evidence or reasoning that Zuma said, obviously, obviously we, we have our strong doubts and it doesn't look like that was his real reason, yeah. but it just sort of looks like another lie, you know, a cover up on, on top of this of what he's already done. Yes, well, this is the thing, because the, the president hasn't mentioned in his court papers that he hasn't mentioned that bogus intelligence report at all. Mm. So, you know, he's, he's got like, uh, his uh, uh, argument is, I don't have to explain myself. Mm. And um, so now he's being pushed to. So it would be interesting what he would provide as a basis. And what would also be interesting is whether the DA uh, or the court would request that the officials, so that would be Gwede Mantashe, mm. uh, Sir Ramaphosa, and Zuelim Kize, provide affidavits of what they have already said publicly. Yeah. Um, and whether they have, if the court asks for it, whether they have the option of saying no, because that, that puts them in a very, very sticky position. Um, because they can't suddenly say, oh, no, we don't want to say anything about this because, hello, gentlemen, you said this you publicly. You said this, so you oh. have to. Yeah. Because I would think as the president that the, the thing would just be to avoid the intelligence report yes. thing and provide an HR-esque yes. logic about performance and youth. Mm-hmm. But the second it's, you know, the affidavits are in and people are saying no. Those but there's reports. another factor, King yeah, because in his yeah. affidavit to yeah. the court, he said the officials apologized. And Gwede Mantashe said, we have not. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's really venturing into interesting t- territory as yeah. to whether Gwede Mantashe said or Zuelim Kize said, I'm willing to prove this legally to say, A, this is what he told us. B, we did not apologize. So he's on top of, uh, you know, basing his decision on a, on a stupid intelligence report. He lied in his court papers. Uh, oh, well, it wasn't in his affidavit, but it was in the, the his lawyer's heads of mm. argument. But he lied in that by saying we apologize. We didn't. <laughs> Jenny, something you've written about and brought up is this seems, I mean, Zoom and accountability, you know, I think we can agree they're not things that, you know, have gone together well in the past. We saw the Watercliff Airbase, you've mentioned with Nkandla, and it seems that he always seems to find a way to not be, you know, held accountable for these things. So do you, do you think somehow between the security cluster and all of this that there's still another way for Zuma to, to somehow come out of this without, you know, looking like he's making irrational decisions or looking like he's making up reports and so on. Well, you know, it, it certainly does seem that Zuma is is running out of runway this time, you know, as he tries to take off and dodge this uh, this next controversy. And he's done it successfully in the past, you know, with um uh, with the Vatkloff, um, uh, Air Force base landing, yeah. when the, when the Guptas land, landed the jet there, he just said, I don't know why they use my name and left it at that. And, you know, the NC was like running rings around itself, mm. um, uh, on that thing. And, um, so eventually there was just some fall person and the NC never demanded an explanation from him as to what is your relationship with these people, the Guptas and B, why did they use your name? 
And he then didn't ask, he never answered. Then he came to Nkandla and, you know, again, the NC tripped over itself trying to cover up and explain and uh, prevent the, the, the president from being held accountable. And that is why he has the veneer of, um, of invincibility, mm. you know, where he just doesn't feel he needs to account, account until the constitutional court said, but pay up. And then, you know, he had to, um, and, you know, and we've seen in parliament, you know, you've had state of the nation addresses being disrupted, you know, with pay back the money protests and things. And through all that time, yeah, the NC, laughing, you know, yeah. the, the NC. so, you know, on those two things, I think the NC committed major blunders such that now with the allegations of state capture, there's so much concern within the NC. And you've seen the deputy president, uh, asking for a judicial commission of inquiry, mm. but because the president is invincible, because he, Issues accountability of any um, sort, they can't hold him accountable. Um, so this is, a, a, you know, a, a major problem now that we you have a, pre- a president who, unless he is dragged to court, doesn't is and is not able to. And I think the tragedy of the court system is that you have his lawyers be grilled, but not him himself. But I think an interesting. New dynamic in these legal cases is people having to pay the bill themselves, which is what has happened with this, uh, with the, 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 the latest case, with the North Cotting High Court mm. case, where they said the president needs to pay the cost himself. So I think that you're going to find that the pressure now, you know, Nkandla had to pay, and now with this case, he has yeah. to pay. So I think that the courts are certainly ratcheting up the pressure against the president. Uh, I think one thing that I'm finding interesting is, is in the past there's been this idea that, you know, President Jacob Zuma is an extremely popular man with, 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 with rural populations. Basically anyone who's not clever blacks in quotes and who's not, you know, white minority capital representatives who are marching on the union buildings, everybody else who's not on Twitter and so on loves the president, right? There's been this idea that, you know, either by myth or reality that this is, He's an extremely popular guy, so he gets to laugh and so on because at the end of the day, there's way more people who, who back or support or love Jacob Zuma than, than not. So I think the, the, what transpired in Bloomfontein the other day on May Day and what happened in Vuani or didn't happen in Vuani perhaps is, is, is a counter to that idea. I think Greg, you wrote a bit about this is, the, 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 the president wasn't, you know, in Vuani in Limpopo where we've had some turbulence there over the past couple of years, um, and was supposed to speak and, no sure didn't happen yeah that's right um i'm not sure do you want me to take you through you some of the issues in like you know <laughs> but no so basically you know, yes let's i think it's worth it's worth giving some aside? context yeah let's give some context on on why vwani matters at all why is because i because i actually yeah. find yeah. the history of the vwani issue fascinating yeah. because yeah. everybody knows about the the protests that really rocked the region last yeah. year and we saw so many schools burnt the the services shut down for months and months and um like a very very high level of violence yeah. as the community sort of um erupted in anger mm. but it's interesting that so the Vawani residents were protesting yeah. against being incorporated into a new uh, municipality called Lim 345 yeah. that municipality was created after Malamulele um, residents protested against being part of the Tulumela municipality okay and so what happened is uh, back in, I think it was 2015. It was actually back, back, I think it was even Pravin Gordon led a lot of the, the community mm. meetings before that when he was cooperative yeah. governance minister, <laughs> um, with, with the, the um, residents around then. Yeah. Eventually, the Malamulela residents were granted sort of this, this, there was a new municipality created to appease their demands because they too had, had, had led shutdowns and had burned schools and had, you know, really caused havoc in this area. And then so fast forward to last year, Navawani residents are protesting being incorporated from where the Makado municipality where they were before mm. into this new municipality, uh, Lim 345. And there's a whole lot of reasons for both groups wanting to protest, you know. A lot of people talk about the, the tension between the Bavenda and Batsonga in the area. Yep. But then there's also, also issues about concerns of service delivery and switching to, to new municipalities and things like that. So last year's protest, I think it caused, you know, in the region of towards 500 million rand yeah. in damage to schools. 
pupils missed classes for months. And I think it was something like 102 schools were affected, yeah. primary and high schools, over 50,000 students. It's incredible the damage that was done up there. And the government and municipal, municipal demarcation board mm. had been trying to engage residents and work on the issue. But the, the Vawani community who were trying to challenge what was going on effectively lost their appeals against the, with the municipal demarcation board, lost their court cases, and were told they're going to have to wait until the run up to the 2019 elections mm. before the municipal demarcation board would even consider changing some of these demarcations in these diff- different areas. But effectively what's happened now is that in the last, um, I think it was, was it the end of, end of April, sort of in the last month or so, um, the the Vawani community lost another appeal to to change their demarcations, and then um um so after that, yeah. they led another shutdown, and basically it looked like things were just going to be the same as last year. That you know, and and the state could not put up with that, particularly with the concern about all of the negative press that the ANC and Zuma is seeing right now. I don't mm-hmm. think this is the time for you know dozens more schools to be burnt burnt in Limpopo. Mm-hmm. So effectively what happened last week was that uh, Zuma met the Bavenda King. Yeah. And they came up with this agreement that while they won't yet give the Vawani people their own municipality, the the sort of overseeing district municipality, the Vember district, will, in the interim, as this issue is being sorted out, they're going to provide services to the Vawani area while the Lim 345 new municipality mm. will still be maintained dealing with the, uh, which will oversee the Malamulele sort of area. So that's basically what happened. It effectively, you know, it, it allows time for tensions to, to, to sort of calm down. Um, and most of the residents are reasonably happy with this sort okay. of idea. And because it was endorsed by the king, that's a okay. huge, um, that's a huge win for, for, for finding a solution. Okay. Where things went wrong <laughs> and, to be fair, schools have are starting to reopen. Mm. But where things went wrong was on Sunday, when it was supposed to be the government and Zuma's big, um, you know, big sort of um, victory, yeah, sort of victory we, address, right? We, so a whole bunch of ministers, you know, went up to went up to Vawani yeah. and had their meeting and stuff, and and they were going to address the community with the king after they had this stakeholder engagement, yeah. you know, with all the all the big honchos. Yeah, it's a great photo of it's a great moment. Yeah, except. <laughs> When the president left the community waiting yeah. for hours and hours and hours in a hot, dusty tent, and then just when when the stakeholder meeting you know finished and they were still waiting for them, then the community heard that he decided not to attend because of safety concerns. And so the president has said that it was a um, he, it, it was because there wasn't a cross section of representatives on the issue present in this community. So it was meeting. only people against. How that's would they right. know that? And, that's and, a bizarre thing. And, and how the do thing you is, they were going to address people. those people anyway. Yes. That's, that's who they're going to address, the people who have been fighting for yeah. those issues. That was the plan. And that's anyway. not a security concern. Yes. That's a, I'm not but, popular with the crowd that I believe but, is I mean, here. And how do you, how do you demand that yeah. anyway? You are against this issue, but please bring your friend who is in favor of it. Otherwise, <laughs> you're right. not allowed to come here and listen. That's right. So it definitely looks like it didn't yeah. go because of security concerns. And the community, speakers were saying that, you know, we're insulted now. They didn't, they didn't want the ministers to speak. They've been tired of government sort of failing, failing to address them mm. and engage them on their issues. They yeah. want, they've demanded for years, like for the president to address them. And it's now his opportunity when he's got something positive to say that he doesn't turn up. Yeah. And not only that, he adds fuel to the fire by, by effectively insulting them and suggesting that they're hooligans. And in the context yeah. of, of what happened sure. on May Day in Bloemfontein, yeah. Ranjini, you wrote about this yesterday. Um, it's fascinating to see a man who was once the people's president, and I think how you were writing about uh, when he used to have to go to perhaps hostels mm. to to try to speak to hostile residents, and he might not have got into the hostel because of because of animosity and hostility, mm, but he would try and speak to the indunas and things like that. Yeah, well, this is the thing: is that you know we've seen this complete transformation of mm. Jacob Zuma uh, from the person he was. I mean, in, in the uh, you know uh, mid nineties, KwaZulu Natal was. 
at all. Um, you know, people, there were, people were dying and all sorts of massacres and things. And he would go to hotspots without the blink of an eye. Um, you know, he, uh, it, at the time I remember he did have some security with him, but you know, I used to see him in Durban, um, at the laundromat all by himself. He would run away from his security and just lead his own life. Um, you know, he didn't worry. He didn't mm. feel he needed to be protected from people. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just still caught up. <laughs> I'm also just picturing <laughs> Jenny yeah. and Jacob Zuma doing no, laundry I, side I by side. No, I seriously <laughs> did see him at the laundromat, but I was going past and I saw him at the laundromat in Durban. Mixing his whites and colors. <laughs> and just, I, don't, I don't know why. Of course, of course, Jacob Zuma I at one point. I did not look at his laundry. <laughs> I just said, hello. Of, of course, <laughs> of course, Jacob Zuma at one point, you know, had to do some laundry, I guess. Yes. It just, it just seems as like a fascinating does. picture <laughs> in my head. <laughs> So anyway, moving swiftly along. Yeah, this is this is another show. We're going to do a whole other show on this. <laughs> on Jacob Zuma's laundry. We, we can do all political leaders on yes. on the mundane tasks they once did that we fail to comprehend now. Yeah, I, I think bushes. Jacob Zuma hasn't done his own laundry in a really long time, I would assume. But, you know, you never know. Maybe he likes doing laundry. Maybe it relaxes. Maybe that's why he doesn't have stress. Okay, I'm going to have to. We're going to cut. This is, this is getting dangerous. So, yeah. the point is that, um, you know, Jacob Zuma was the kind of person who, uh, you know, who he would go to violence hotspots. He was a person, he and Reverend Kalani Mteta from the IFP mediated the peace process. They would call mass meetings of NC and IFP supporters and address it, despite the threat of being killed at those meetings. You see, he was never afraid. So, so the point I was making is that in the 2004 election, you know, the, the, these big campaign events that you see now where, you know, hundreds of NC people go with T-shirts and things. In that 2004, uh, the, the, you know, the, uh, the hostels on the East Rand are still, uh, you know, they're still very dangerous places. So you saw him just going there, um, you know, with a the, with the small contingent of people. Um, and immediately at the front of the hostel, I think it was in Denver, JP Hostel, um, he, uh, you know, the, the Indunas came out and they wouldn't let him in. Yeah. And he stood his ground. He said, I'm here to campaign and you know they said oh in 1994 you people killed our, our people in the shell house massacre mm. and uh, you know they, they they were very hostile to him and he stood his ground and he said look the violence hurt us as well you know he just didn't turn us he on his heel and ran and ran away um but you know he's gone from that person who was you know not a coward to the person he is now who you know has to be barricaded from the people he serves um so wherever he goes he has this large security contingent in Mayday, and Mayday, you saw this big fence mm. separating him from the you know the the Kosatu workers, mm-hmm. and, and in Vuani he didn't go at all, and a line of police officers in yes. front of them there. The, in Vuani this is the right police, and he still couldn't. Now go. we have to move on really quickly, but just just very briefly. So this idea that he might he might be acting as a coward now is there any sort of defence for the president that perhaps his security team made the call and he can't override them? Is that is that any way possible as a defense in, on, on, on his behalf? Well, then why did they lie to the nation and say that it was because of the, the composition of people there? Uh, because they've told us it's a composition and it looks like a silly excuse. But he, they can't gi- keep giving people stupid excuses. They must, they must be honest then and they must say there was some other threat. Um, and you know, be, be able to substantiate it. But you cannot be afraid of the people you serve. Otherwise, you're not a legitimate leader. Does this, does this, um, just going back to where we started, does this shatter the idea, um, that, you know, it's only a small group of people and it's only, you know, it's only white people who never wanted a black president in the first place and those are the only people, you know, uh, who are anti-Zuma? Does it give, does it, it was already a, a ridiculous idea, but does it now completely, you know, just tarnish that idea that, you know, I'm a popular guy, just not in. It doesn't know, look good for, it certainly doesn't look good yeah. for the president with, you add what happened at the Kasatu's May Day rally, which, which was Kasatu unionists, yeah. um, chanting and campaigning against, against the president and, and their own alliance partner's leader. Um, and, and the letters that came from certain unions saying that President Zuma shouldn't address that. You add that to what happens to, you know, in a community like Vawani with, 
some of the protests that led, you know, the anti-Zuma Zuma protests, which, you know, was quite a cross-section of society, and it really doesn't look good for the president. But, but even before you get there, do you remember in 2013 at Nelson Mandela's memorial service, he That's was right. booed by ANC members at the, you know on the world stage with world leaders being present um and even then they denied it i don't know who they thought those people were but they were clearly th- nc people we were there we saw them in nc regalia yeah I, th- I think they said they were planned planted by the yeah. opposition yeah, this and this then said, yeah. uh, you know you saw in february this year where the president deployed the sndf to the state of the nation address that shows that there is this level of fear and paranoia on his part that is inexplicable because why was the army, why was the army needed to be deployed on the streets of Cape Town? They would not clear what the threat was. I actually forgot about that. That was, so I don't know if we've talked about it, but I'm sure some of our listeners have seen the stories. It was incredible to see soldiers lining the streets of Cape Town with rifles. Along, in the, in, holding them up, not right. just like at their sides. They and were actually it, holding them up. That's right. And, and poted. Posted at intermittent points along the main roads, roads where, as if it was a war zone. That's right, and, and that's how it's felt. And and it was incredible, just to, incredibly shocking and scary, actually, to 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 see that. Yeah, no, it it is fine, but that, but that's the thing. I think you know people shouldn't just judge these two incidents of um, of Mayday and and Vuani, That you need to see in context that um, you know that there is an increasing level of paranoia, um, and you also look at the president's schedule that he doesn't. I mean, he hasn't addressed a, a, an open press conference for a really long time. Um, he only, um, he, or, or the, you know, the, his his diary is becoming more and more restricted to events in KwaZulu Natal. He doesn't address public events at, uh, in other parts of the country that regularly. I mean, he's president of the entire South Africa. But how do people interact with their elected leader? You don't because he's always fortified behind this huge contingent of uh, security people or he just doesn't pitch up. So, you know, when you talk about uh, accountability, it, it is also about having access to the people that, you lead, uh, that lead you. And we don't have access to the president. Okay, um, I think one last thing just before in the last sort of 10 minutes is we'll be chatting to Dr. Johan Berger from the Institute of Security Studies. Uh, Dr. Johan, um, I'd just love to jump into this, this work by, uh, by you guys at the ISS about the SAPS announcement about a sort of a new dedic- uh, dedicated capability within the detective services to conduct criminal investigations against members of SAPS who are involved in, in corruption and fraudulent activity. Could you just talk us through you know what what this proposed process is and, and why this is something that we really should be watching yeah well i i think this is a very interesting uh, development in the south african police service they uh, announced in their 2015-2016 annual report that a process is now currently underway to re-establish a, um, a an anti-corruption unit for the south african police service Keeping in mind that the previous anti-corruption unit, the Internal Police Anti-Corruption Unit, was disbanded by former National Commissioner Jackie Sileve in 2003. And since then, the police um, were faced by a number of difficulties in terms of um, effective uh, investigations of uh, complaints uh, of corruption uh, against police officers. So we at the Institute for Security Studies have been calling for a long time now for the re-establishment of such a dedicated unit. And it now seems as if the first steps are being taken within the police service to re-establish this type of unit. And, Doctor, I'm I'm just wondering, what is the difference between this unit and something like IPED? And also, if this unit is based within SAPS, doesn't it sort of seem like the police have to investigate themselves now, which which might which might lead to sort of um, conflicts of interest. Hmm. Yeah, well, you know, they they are of course uh, opposing um, views on this, but they we make the arguments. Firstly, that the independent police investigators director certainly has um, been given some responsibility in this regard, but they they do not have the capacity, and and they also um, lack uh, a number of other requirements which we believe um, only the police themselves can meet in terms of a a, a, uh, successful and effective investigative uh, in 
instrument in this regard. Um, we, we, we therefore argue um, uh, in, this, in this policy brief that we've developed that nobody knows the police better than police officers themselves. And experience in the past have shown that um, police officers who are specially selected, specially uh, uh, tested, and also tested on a regular basis in terms of integrity and so forth, um, were uh, in a much better position to investigate their colleagues who are uh, involved in corrupt practices if certain um, baseline requirements are met. For example, the, this, uh, the members of these units or, the, or of this unit, um, wherever they are based throughout the country eventually, um, should not be located at the traditional police officer. So there should be a clear separation between them. Um, secondly, they, they, their budget and their vehicles, etc., should be completely separate from the, the, the traditional or normal policing uh, vehicles, budget, and so on. Um, and, and we must keep in mind that police officers who are experienced, they know the, the, the laws of the street, they are street-wise, and for them to be caught out, you need people who are equally street-wise and experienced in the techniques of policing. And therefore, we believe that a police unit comprising of experienced police officers who meet all the other requirements in terms of integrity and so forth, are best suited to do these kinds of investigations. And, Johan, do you have any idea of what impact this sort of unit could could make in terms of numbers of corruption and cases against police? And, and sort of are there any estimates of figures of, of corruption within the SAPs that goes, that goes unchecked? Yes, I, I think this is, this is quite an interesting um, uh, phenomena. We've seen that the previous anti-corruption unit that was closed down in 2003, um, on average, uh, uh, every year, investigated approximately 4,000 cases of police corruption. And since then, the police have increased their number by uh, approximately 50,000. Uh, members. So we have a much larger police organization now than we had more than a decade ago. But in spite of this number uh, increasing uh, as far as corruption cases are concerned, it decreased to about a quarter of the level that it was in 2003. In other words, less than a thousand cases are currently being investigated of police corruption. When we know from mm. independent studies, we know this also from uh, um, the, the stats is a um, um, uh, the, the stats that they've released in this regard that uh, um, there's, there's, there's corruption is probably the biggest concern uh, or police corruption the biggest concern amongst members of the public. So you have to ask questions about how it is that the police are seemingly unable to successfully identify and investigate these, these corruption cases within their own ranks. And therefore, we believe that a dedicated unit would probably um, be able to uh, more successfully identify and investigate these cases. Fantastic. I mean, I think just hearing the breakdown from you, it's just so clear why this is so important and how you know closely we have to watch this. Dr. Johan, thanks for chatting to us. It is my pleasure. Thank okay. Um, for those listening in who want to, you know, dive into the, the further details on this, uh, this is on the Daily Maverick site. Just look out for the Institute of Security Studies. That's by Dr. Johan Berger. And we'll make sure to tweet a link to that. I mean, it's clear just how important, you know, policing and, and integrity uh, in policing is to, to, to us as a country. So I think it's really, really something we have to watch. A big thank you to everybody who joined us on Twitter. Of course, to Greg Nicholson and Jenny Munasami for enlightening us and educating us as always. We'll be here, you know, same time. And Jenny, you look like you want to jump in there. No, I was just saying that. Um, I look forward to the next show on Jacob Zuma's laundry. <laughs> <laughs> we should just try it. We just don't talk about President Jacob Zuma anymore. I feel yeah, like we, we're just be, like, yeah, let's try that. No Trump, I, I was suggesting no to Zuma. save South Africa yesterday yeah. that, you know, that um, to, to really get attention now, they yeah. should say, okay, 
we we forgetting about Jacob Zuma. Yeah. We no one wants him to fall. Let him stay, and you know we'll we'll pick another target. You know, just to shake things up because people are so bored with the Zuma must fall campaign we'll now. Nobody something. pays yeah. attention anymore. Mm. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Thanks to you both for joining us. Thanks for everybody on Twitter. Remember, you can download and share the podcast. And yeah, please just join us next week, same time, one to two p.m. Cliffcentral.com.